0: Do I dare make comments on football games? No. <laughs> Depends on who you're rooting for. And so I apologize to any Bruin fans. That was a rough day. Dee Dee goes to every game, and so she always gives me the update. And, uh, but uh, it's football season, and that's fun. Chelsea and I uh, attended a marriage conference while we were on vacation, and, uh, and some of the th- thoughts I'm going to share in the sermon today relate to some of the things we, uh, t- we kind of learned about and processed while we were at the marriage conference. But let me start with a joke we heard there. There was a couple who was taking a road trip and they were driving along when they came across a sign that read Nacogdoches 40 miles ahead. They began to argue about how to correctly pronounce this very strange sounding town. And the husband got so upset with his wife, he says, I am going to stop when we get to town, and I'm going to prove that I'm right, that this is how you pronounce it. And now they drove silently for the next 30 miles. When they finally arrived in town, he pulled into the first fast food restaurant he could find. They both marched to the counter, and the husband said to the lady working behind it, My wife and I have been arguing for 30 minutes. Can you please tell us very slowly and very clearly, how do you pronounce the name of this place? To which the young lady's eyes got real big, and she leaned over the counter and said, Burger King. (laughs) I got a kick out of that one. I know that's a cheesy joke, but I like cheesy jokes every once in a while. Uh, The marriage seminar was very good, and like I said, I have some thoughts that I want to share this morning, some of which were kind of formed at that time. But one of the things that was said was that most people spend more time thinking about, talking about, and planning their next vacation than they do their marriage. And I thought that's a major problem. Because outside of for those, of you, for those of us who are married, outside of your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse is the most important relationship you have. And so I came away from this conference thinking, Chelsea and I need to have some very good heart-to-heart conversations just to be more intentional and more strategic about how God is going to use and bless our marriage. And I also came, across, came away thinking, we as a church need to put more of an emphasis on these things. Because I couldn't help but think as I was uh, sitting there so, often, uh, so many times during the week that there are many marriages that... I might not even know of this. I might not even know of really what's going on under their roof, but so many are struggling, people that we know and love that the marriage is that the marriage is difficult. So that's the focus of today's message. In fact, we're going to spend some time praying on Wednesday night at the concert of prayer just for marriages. But we as a church, we know firsthand, right, that Satan loves to come and attack marriages. That's one of his most strategic attacks. And so we need to put an emphasis on this and to think about it. Now, I realize not everyone in the church that we have this sermon, not everyone here is married. But all of us know people that are married, And every marriage takes a a support team around them. It takes prayer support. Every uh, marriage, because this is an attack of Satan, needs to have that that, uh, uh, love and support and prayer. And then I also think, just by way of application right up front, there are many youth and young adults who will one day be married. And I challenge you even now to think about what kind of marriage do you want to have? We're going to talk about the goals of our marriage. And what, is it, what are the goals that you would want to have in a marriage? Because that influences the type of spouse you will look for. If you do want to have, as the goal of your marriage, God at the center and ministry at the center, then that means you're going to seek a spouse that loves Jesus with all his or her heart, that loves to serve in the church. So what do you want the goals of your marriage to be? That applies to all of us. Okay, so now we're in, the, uh, we're in the midst of a sermon series in Acts, and so we go to the book of Acts, and we find two married couples who stand in contrast to one another. We're going to look at Ananias and Sapphira from chapter 5, And then we're going to flip over to chapter 18 and look at Priscilla and Aquila. And we're going to compare these two marriages. This is a comparison uh, sermon, so to speak. And we're going to compare these two marriages and hopefully come away with some principles that we can apply to our lives. But before we get into the text, because we're going to jump around a little bit, let me just take a minute right now and pray for us. Father God, now we come before you and we just commit this time to you. We pray that you would be our teacher. We love you so much. and We just thank you for your wisdom. That in your uh, wise plan that you have oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes brought two people together to share life with, to strengthen one another, and to be used even more effectively and strategically for the advancement of, the, of your kingdom than they could alone. And so, God, I do pray for every marriage in this room right now. I pray that as we look at your word, that you would strengthen us. I pray for us as a church to be strengthened as we commit our lives and our marriages to you. So come and speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first couple, as I said, Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5 of Acts. Starting at verse 1, "...and a man named Ananias, and with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept, back part for, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, "'Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land?' Now, we'll go, as we go on in the passage, I'm not going to read it all just for the sake of time, but we will see Sapphira come in and say the exact same thing as her husband. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, we're going to have a positive couple and a negative. This is obviously our negative couple. They lie to the Holy Spirit, and they are both struck down dead on the spot. But one thing I will give to them is they, they are together. They've got a lie, and they stick to it. They've talked about it ahead of time. This is what we're going to tell the apostles. And, uh, and they, they are not only together in life, but together in death, so to speak. And so I will give that to them. But the problem is, even though this is their focus and this is their togetherness, the problem is that they do not have their minds and their hearts. They are not aimed at serving the Lord. Now, we see the opposite in Priscilla and Aquila. We see this togetherness again, but we see that in their lives, they have completely different goals for their marriage. So now we're jumping over to Acts 18. Again, starting at the first verse. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Notice, uh, so this is a passage about Paul, but notice who's with him. And he found a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontius, recently from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So here is Paul. He uh, Obviously, we know him as this godly man. And he goes in to see someone, and it must be that he goes to uh, Priscilla and Aquila because they've got a reputation. And he goes there, and he does ministry with them. Now, we jump down later in the passage, picking it up again, Acts 18.24. Now, a Jew named Apollos. Now, Apollos from church history, we know, of uh, uh, Paul and Apollos, almost uh, the, the two greatest teachers here in the first century a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. Isn't that interesting? Paul and Apollos both affected by the same Christian couple. couple. Priscilla and Aquila don't get a lot of uh, ink in the Bible. Paul does. Apollos is well known, but they are affected by the exact same couple. This di- I think of them as this dynamic Christian couple who has set their relationship and their heart on the Lord, is making a major impact in people's lives in such a way that it is advancing the kingdom. So, one other thing we pick up about uh, Priscilla and Aquila, verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 19, The churches in the province of Asia send your greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. So does the church that meets at their house. And I just bring that up because isn't it interesting that they've opened up their home and there's a church that meets there. So here is, I have a couple uh, things I'm going to call, a couple keys for married couples. And the first is togetherness. Togetherness. And I see that actually in both Ananias and Sapphira and Priscilla and Aquila, but this idea of togetherness is so important in our marriages. Togetherness. Togetherness goes all the way back to the creation story itself. Genesis 2.24 Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Both Jesus and Paul quote this verse in reference to marriage. The two shall become one. And that's a biblical principle. It's the principle of togetherness. Now the idea behind the two shall become one, I think there are two key principles. One is intimacy within our the togetherness of our marriage there is intimacy now you oftentimes when we use that word that we are intimate we think of the physical sexual intimacy but it, it, it does include that but it goes way beyond that it includes this idea biblical intimacy of shared life together Intimacy is the discovery of the other person, and even self-discovery, as we open ourselves up to one another, as we're vulnerable and honest to one another. It is the emotional and spiritual connection that two people have when they are completely and vulnerably open to share their lives together. That's really what intimacy is about. When the creation story says that they were naked and not ashamed, That is more than just the fact that they did not have any clothes on. What it's speaking of is that they are completely open to one another. That not ashamed speaks of the emotional and even the spiritual connection that they had with one another. That they just laid themselves bare. That they were vulnerable and honest with one another and not ashamed. And that's what we're talking about in intimacy. In intimacy in marriage... That we'd have that deep togetherness that we are sharing life together. And so, the second thing here, not the cent- second key principle of this message, but the second thing I want to point out about this idea of the two shall become one is the idea that partnership fro- flows from intimacy. When we have that relationship together in our marriage, it's a partnership, right? It's teamwork, it's a shared load. And so Chelsea and I, we share each other's burdens. It's the shared workload of child-rearing and finances. It's the shared goals in our careers or education. It's teamwork, even in things like our health. But it's all areas of life. The two shall become one is a total partnership. And so that is what we're talking about when we talk about togetherness. But I am emphasizing this because I know that in many marriages there is not the sense of togetherness. That over time, marriage is almost more of a competition than it is a togetherness. Each person trying to get their way and to win the argument, to prove that they are right or that they are doing more or that they are even a better person than the other one. And so it is not togetherness, it is competition. When Chelsea and I were engaged, uh, this is actually... now that I think about it, we should do this more. This would be a togetherness activity. But we don't do this anymore. But when we were engaged as young lovebirds, we'd read books together. And uh, we read this book together uh, called A Severe Mercy. And And there was something that stuck out in that book, just one little paragraph that we tried to adopt. And I think we've tried to make a principle in our marriage ever since. Sheldon Van Auken writes about the death of his wife davy but then he in the process of that he describes their relationship and it's and he writes look we said what is it that draws two people into closeness and love of course there's the mystery of physical attraction but beyond that it's the things they share we both love strawberries and ships and collies and poems and all beauty And all those things bind us together. Those sharings just happen to be. But what we must do now is share everything. Everything. It's one of us, if one of us likes anything, there must be something to like in it. And the other person must find it. Now I love that. That's a beautiful principle. If Chelsea and I have a difference and she sees value in this and she sees this to be good and I respect her and love her and know that she's a very intelligent, God-gifted woman, then it it is not my intention to try to convince her to agree with me but to try to understand why she sees it the way that she does. And so marriage, a marriage of togetherness looks at the value and what the other person sees and thinks and feels and seeks to understand and embrace it. And so marital competition seeks to dominate and change, but marital togetherness seeks to understand and respect. Andy Stanley said, stop trying to change your spouse, but be the spouse your spouse wants to be married to. I like that. Because uh, that the idea that we are to seek to be the spouse that we want to be married to. Love without limits. Now, I would hope that if some of you are tracking with me right now, now, I actually don't hope this, but I would imagine that some of you are thinking, that ship has sailed a long time ago. That the idea of togetherness in my marriage We've had too many fights. We've been too emotionally disconnected for so long and have been focused on completely different things that we are completely different people. And maybe some of you even say we'll stay together, but we'll never have togetherness. And that, I just want to say, is hard. But that is... The honest truth, oftentimes. Let me just drive home one thing to say that God is on the side of your marriage. God loves marriages, and He has brought couples together because He wants to see us thrive together. And sometimes there are hurts, and sometimes there are real pains. Sometimes there is brokenness in marriage. But it is God's will that we would be together, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, to have togetherness. I was looking at Chelsea's notes from the conference. I actually wanted to tag-team message this uh, sermon with Chelsea, but she said, I have children's ministry today. I said, that's a lame excuse. <laughs> but uh, I was looking at her notes, and, uh, and she wrote down, Chelsea's a very smart person sometimes, well, off, all the time. <laughs> uh, she, she's a very smart person all the time. And this is a very good statement she wrote down. See, we're talking about marriages being healed at this point in the sermon, so pray for me, all right? <laughs> No, this is what she wrote down. The only way to last forever is to be broken together. All marriages will go through hardships. It is when we are broken together and God comes and heals us together. That we can really be strong in fact sometimes the brokenness we experience together is in the long run when god comes and redeems us it'll be what becomes our greatest strength together first peter four says since therefore christ suffered in the flesh arm yourself with the same way of thinking Arm yourselves with the idea that suffering can be for our good. Arm yourself with the idea that I am going to sacrifice. Jesus, uh, the Bible says that Jesus said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And so Peter is saying here, arm yourself with the same way of thinking as that of Christ Jesus to look at potential pain as potentially for our long-term good. Peter goes on to say, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I've been wrestling with these verses for the last couple months. That is such a promise to me that if we arm ourselves with uh, this kind of mindset, we have ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Is that your desire for your life? To know for as long as you are in the flesh, to no longer live for human passions, but for the will of God. That is our vision for our marriage. That is what God can do to transform us as we embrace this idea of suffering, even being broken together. That is the vision for our marriages, is sanctification, to be transformed so that we have ceased from sin. Dawn Rosinger was one of the presenters at the uh, conference we went to, and uh, she shared this powerful story. In fact, I've shared this story with a couple individuals already, so forgive me if this is go-around number two for you, Uh, but uh, as a teenager, she was in a really bad car accident. Teenager, she didn't have much money. She had this beater of a car and was driving down the uh, freeway one day, and the temperature gauge shot up to high, uh, to really hot. And uh, so she pulled off into the service station. They filled it up with coolant and, she, and told her to go on her way. A couple miles later, again, the temperature gauge shot up, but this time the, the coolant exploded. And this junky car had no fire bar- uh, barrier and it went all over her body and burned her skin. And in fact, in that, it actually burned the brake pads too. She could not stop the car. And so here she was, her skin was literally just melting and she had to make a spontaneous decision to either wreck, to drive the car into something to get it to stop or to jump from the car. And so in the, moment, in the moment of distress, she decided to jump from the car. And so just with her skin raw, all of this gravel and debris is all over her now rush to the emergency room they clean her out the best she uh, she could but then every week goes back to the doctor and they open up the wounds again to take out the debris and the infection week after week after week and it was very very painful she said as you can imagine but she said over time it's no longer a wound but now it's a scar and then, after a while, it's no longer painful anymore. In fact, she said that uh, one of the, if you can look at it as a benefit from it, she developed a very high pain tolerance. In fact, she said when she uh, gave birth, it didn't even hurt. Chelsea nudged me and said, now that is a benefit. Uh, so. But obviously, the application here is very obvious. Sometimes in our marriages we have to go there are deep wounds and maybe we even have to open those wounds again but over time by the grace of God those things can no longer those will no longer be wounds but they will be scars and by the grace of God if this is done together that is key to the togetherness that it is no longer even painful but in fact it might even have benefits for us that God will redeem those things so that they are used for his glory. Chelsea was at a marriage, re- uh, it was actually a, a pastor's uh, wives' retreat several years ago, and they were broken, bro- they divided up into couples, and she was paired up with another pastor's wife who shared this with her. She said, It's like my husband and I are like ships passing in the night. We see each other, and we're physically together but there's no emotional or spiritual connection. And as much as I don't want to admit this, there's been seasons where I would say that we've been like that. The busyness of life and just the carelessness of not investing in one another, it's like we're ships passing in the night. The emotional and the spiritual connection is not there. One of the things that was, that Chelsea and I have tried to do over the years, and this was emphasized at the conference as well, and so we've begun to try to take this even more seriously, and this is what I want to share with us in terms of application today, is that there is tremendous value in having what we could call stated goals. And that's the second point I want to bring out today. Now, we're gonna, I want to focus in on some application but I bring all of this up because I actually am a very big believer in this. In all, Every marriage has goals. It's just oftentimes they are not stated. Every marriage is aimed at something. But when we state them, when we have good conversations and lay those things out, what are our marital values and what are we aimed at? That is when we can begin to aim our lives to actually be focused on the things that we want them to be focused on. When we look at Ananias and Sapphira, it seems very clear to me that one of their goals is they are image-driven. They just saw Barnabas be acknowledged and credited having sold a piece of land, and now everyone in the community acknowledges, wow, this is great. So Ananias and Sapphira think, we're going to do the exact same thing because we would love to be recognized as well. But the problem is they didn't give it all. But But the motivation behind it by The motivation behind saying this is all of it is they wanted to look good. They wanted to be recognized as holy and generous and righteous. And so much in our culture today, marriage is image-driven. We want to put up a good front. We want everybody to think, wow, they got their marriage really together. They're super-established and financially solid They're physically healthy. They look amazing. Their kids are the best athletes on the team and get the best grades in class. Look at them. They have everything they could want. They have the perfect marriage. And maybe your marriage is the envy of everyone. Maybe your marriage does have the appearance of having it all together, but does appearance of status, uh, financial status and success and looks determine your value in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything more important, more valuable than your soul? And so I just would say, if if our marriages are image-driven, the goal is to try to look good we will end up hurting ourselves, we will hurt our spouse, and we will hurt many people along the way. So that's one bad goal. A second might be personal happiness. I highlight that again because I think oftentimes marriages are focused on wanting to make myself happy. We might say that that uh, we're making some speculation here, but that could have been the reason Ananias and Sapphira held back some of the money. Maybe they wanted to take the dream vacation or whatever. But the idea that money would provide them with some sort of happiness. And oftentimes I see within marriages a focus on what is going to make me happy. And so people even enter into marriage thinking, if, I, if I'm going to get married, my future husband or my future wife will make, you, will make me happy. Let me in, let you in on a little secret. Your husband or your wife is going to drive you crazy at times. May He probably will not always make you happy. In fact, an imperfect spouse does not have the ability to make you happy. And all we are marrying are imperfect sinners. The only things that will bring true joy in life are loving Jesus and serving others. That's it to love others, to love Jesus, and to serve others. And so I would just uh, challenge all of us to pursue those things. In fact, that is what I think the secret to marriage is, is to pursue those things together. If there's a secret, it is to love Jesus together and to serve others together. That's the key. And so now, briefly, in the last few minutes we have together, let's look at Priscilla and Aquila. What could be the goals in their lives. Well, one, it seems to me, is to love God. That seems to be the goal of Priscilla and Aquila. We see them as they welcome people into their homes, as they serve alongside of Paul, as they mentor Apollos. They have the idea of loving the Lord in their marriage. And that is where every good, strong, and healthy marriage starts, to love God and to help our spouses, to help your spouse grow in his or her love for God Jesus said the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and that's not just for us individually but that's for us as married couples as well and so here are my application questions are you really loving God together as a couple is he the passionate focus of your life as a couple And who's more important, God or your summer vacation? What do you spend more time thinking about, God and his love for the world or your love for your kids or for socializing with your friends? And when you wake up in the morning, do you first check your heart by talking to Jesus or do you first check your Facebook likes or your stock portfolio? And so the real question is, who or what consumes your mind and your time the most as a couple. And once you ask, answer that, then you will know who you really love. And so Priscilla and Aquila have as a goal to love God. Secondly, they have a goal of serving others. We've already highlighted the ways they did that. But serving others together as a marital goal is hard, but this is where your marriage can really gain traction both internally and externally. When we serve others, our marriage can be both internally satisfying and externally fruitful. And so going back to Jesus's greatest commandments, he said the the second is like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. And loving your neighbor means serving your neighbor. But that is not easy, right? Serving your neighbor, especially when life is busy and you're both working or, you're bo- or, or you have kids at home or whatever, life is always busy. And loving your neighbor will not, help you, will not make you richer. In fact, it may make you poorer. And it will not help you with the margin in your schedule. In fact, it will very well take it up. But I challenge you to do this because I think the benefits are so great. And these are some of the benefits that I've seen in my own life. That when Chelsea and I, when we've been able to serve, you know what? I find her to be more attractive than I did before because I see the ways that God has gifted her and made her special, and it draws me to her. I find that we are closer together because we end up spending more time praying together and thinking about what God is doing in people's lives. I find that we are able to accomplish more for the kingdom together than we could apart. And so there are so many benefits to this uh, serving others together. And then the last thing I want to mention, and this is the hardest one for me at least, what we see in Priscilla and Aquila, it can't be uh, ignored, is that they have the goal of sharing the gospel together. Like, it's interesting to me that they serve alongside of Paul together, and they have this church that meets in their, in the, in their house, and they are both there together. And they mentor Apollos together to share the gospel together. And I realize when we talk about the idea of evangelism, that's a scary subject. I'm a pastor. That's a scary subject even for me. Uh, But the idea of doing it together as a team with my wife makes it a little bit more less intimidating and it gives me, it helps us to creatively think How can we be more effective? Sometimes it's easier to reach people together than on our own when we think about reaching our neighbors or our unsaved friends. One of our favorite activities is going out to movies. If we can ever get a babysitter, and that's not always the easiest to do, but get a babysitter and go to a movie and dinner. And we try to do that uh, whenever we can. But what if, and this is one of our goals, What if once, and we've said once a quarter to make it realistic, what if once a quarter every few months when we go out to the movies and dinner we took someone with us who doesn't know Christ and then we watch the movie and and I'm going to be looking for themes uh, that maybe open the door to share about our love for Jesus But even if those themes don't come up or even if it doesn't happen in conversation over dinner afterwards, the idea that Chelsea and I can hopefully, just by the way we interact, show the love of Jesus is a powerful and strategic thing because most couples do not know another Christian couple in which they they genuinely see a love for God and a love for one another. And so that is a beautiful thing to think about the marriage goal of sharing the gospel together. So those are the three things, to love God, to serve others, to share the gospel together. Now, can you imagine the radical change we'd experience as a church if every married couple sat down together and thought about the specific marriage goals that they would like to have together? What if we were really actually intentional about this? So what is the go- God's goal for you as a couple if you are married? Why does your marriage exist? The specifics of that will look different for every couple. What Chelsea and I have determined will look completely different for you. But broadly speaking, the same big picture goals are always there. To love God, to serve others, to share the gospel. For a young couple that doesn't have kids, they have certain advantages that, that Chelsea and I do not have. but to be able to say we're going to be strategic and we're going to take full advantage of these years to say that we're going to love Jesus with all of our hearts during this time. And then for couples that have young kids, there are certain uh, advantages to that too because there are built-in opportunities to get to know families through our schools, kids' school, and other activities. But then I look at retired couples and empty nesters and I think there are definitely some advantages there too. Maybe there is a certain amount of time or money that wasn't freed up when the kids were young. And so I think of the golden years as having golden opportunities to make an impact for the kingdom. And that is, the, the if you are retired and you uh, are, are an empty nester, so to speak, I'm not there, so I have to tread lightly here, but man, it seems that there are so many opportunities to be used for the kingdom. And so many of you are, and I'm so proud of that, that you have set your mind to say, I'm not going to just fulfill my own happiness, though there's nothing wrong with pursuing things that you enjoy and love, but to say we're going to do it with the goal of loving Jesus and sharing his word. I think of opportunities for missions that will someday be afforded to us that we can't do now. Or hospitality, when Chelsea and I were a young couple, there, when we were engaged, there was another older couple who had us over for dinner every, every month to open our homes up. So every couple at every stage in life has certain advantages. Chelsea and I, as we said, we've tried to be specific. And so the categories that are listed on your handout are the areas that we have used. The big picture goals I've shared with you already, but now we've tried to narrow it down to some nuts and bolts. We've determined every... And I'll just give these to you as suggestions. You make your own categories. But we said we got financial goals, we got spiritual goals, we have travel goals, we have career goals, we have relational goals, and we have physical goals. And I won't share all of those with you because some of them are... Not as interesting as others. Actually, more like some of them are more personal than others. But um, for example, we have a weekly date lunch. That's what works for us when the kids are in school. A date lunch to invest in one another, to ask each other, how are we doing? Pray together daily. One night a week, we seek to have devotions together. We have the goal of one day going on a missions trip together. We've set aside X number of dollars to bless someone every month, just to give it away. One day we'd like to take a overseas sabbatical trip. We do a quarterly field trip to a museum. That's a way that we just connect with one another. Some we're going to take an extensive, an intensive pastor and pastor of wise retreat. So I just share all of those because I want to give examples, and uh, some are one year goals and some are longer. But here is my heart's desire that all of us would see our marriages thrive. The God of heaven and earth wants to come down and work through your marriage. Let's pray. Father God, I know that even as I deliver this word, I I realize that Uh, Chelsea and I, though we have done our best, there is is always room for growth and improvement. I pray that you would help us and lead us into your ways. God, I am very mindful that one of Satan's most strategic attacks is to come after marriages. And so, God, this morning, just even as we prepare for communion, We just want to come before you and come before the sacrifice on the cross and ask us for your help. That you would forgive us of our sins, that you would redeem us and heal us, and that you would move us forward in the ways that you would want us to go. And God, this morning, I just pray that you would, in whatever is helpful for any couple that is here today, God, I pray that you would impress upon their hearts what you would have for them, And if it is time for them to sit down and to think through some specific goals so that they are careful and strategic and intentional about how they are growing in their love for one another and their love for you and their service for you, God, I pray that you would afford them that time to be able to have those real great conversations and bless them as they do. But God, now as we prepare for the communion table, We pray that you would draw our hearts to you, fix our hearts and our minds on Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you have made on the cross because you love us so much. And we pray that as we think about that, that unconditional, sacrificial, self-giving love, that we would embrace it and, and cherish it and praise you for it. But God, we pray that you would help us to also adopt it and apply it to every relationship we have, especially towards our husband or our wife. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll invite the-